0: Chapter 12 of My Airships by Alberto Santos Dumont. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 12 The Deutsch Prize and Its Problems. This brings me to the Deutsch Prize of Aerial Navigation offered in the spring of 1900 while I was navigating my number three and after I had, on at least one occasion, all unknowing, steered over what was to be its exact course from the Eiffel Tower to the Seine at Bagatelle. See page 127. This prize of 100,000 francs, founded by Monsieur Deutsch de la a member of the Paris Aero Club was to be awarded by the Scientific Commission of that organization to the first dirigible balloon or airship that, between the first of May and the first of October, nineteen hundred, nineteen o one, nineteen o two, nineteen o three, and nineteen o four, should rise from the Parc de of the Aero Club at Saint Cloud and without touching the ground and by its own self-contained means on board alone describe a closed curve in such a way that the axis of the Eiffel Tower should be within the interior of the circuit and return to the point of departure in the maximum time of half an hour." Should more than one accomplish the task in the same year, the 100,000 francs were to be divided in proportion to the respective times. The Aero Club's scientific commission had been named expressly for the purpose of formulating these and such other conditions of the foundation as it might deem proper, and by reason of certain of them, I had made no attempt to win the prize with my Santos Dumont number 4. The course from the Aero Club's Park de Aerostation to the Eiffel Tower in return was 11 kilometers, nearly 7 miles, and this distance, plus the turning round the tower, must be accomplished in 30 minutes. This meant... In a perfect calm, a necessary speed of 25 kilometers, or 15.5 miles per hour for the straight stretches, a speed I could not be sure to maintain all the way in my number four. Another condition formulated by the Scientific Commission was that its members, who were to be judges of all trials, must be notified 24 hours in advance of each attempt. Naturally, the operation of such a condition would be to nullify as much as possible all minute time calculations based either on a given rate of speed through perfect calm or such air currents as might be prevailing 24 hours previous to the hour of trial. Though Paris is situated in a basin surrounded on all sides by hills, its air currents are peculiarly variable, and brusque meteorological changes are extremely common. I foresaw also that when the competitor had once committed the formal act of assembling a scientific commission on a slope of the River Seine, so far away from Paris as Saint-Cloud, he would be under a kind of moral pressure to go on with his trial, no matter how the air currents might have increased, and no matter in what kind of weather, wet, dry, or simply humid, he might find himself. Again, this moral pressure to go on with the trial against the aeronaut's better judgment must extend even to the event of an unlikely change in the state of the airship, itself. One does not convoke a body of prominent personages to a distant riverside for nothing. Yet, in the twenty-four hours between notification and trial, even a well-watched elongated balloon might well lose a little of its tautness unperceived. A previous day's preliminary trial might easily derange so uncertain an engine as the petroleum motor of the year 1900. And finally, I saw that the competitor would be barred by common courtesy from convoking the commission at the very hour most favorable for dirigible balloon experiments over Paris, the calm of the dawn. The duelist may call out his friends at that sacred hour, but not the airship captain. In founding the Santos Dumont Prize with a 4,000 francs awarded to me by the Aero Club for my work in the year 1900, it will be observed that I made no such conditions, by the way. I did not wish to complicate the trial by imposing a minimum velocity. The check of a special committee— or any limitation of time of trial during the day. I was sure that even under the widest conditions, it would be a great deal to come back to the starting point after having reached a post publicly pointed out in advance, a thing that was unheard of before the year 1901. The conditions of the Santos Dumont Prize, therefore, left competitors free to choose the state of the air least unfavorable to them, as the calm of late evening or early morning. Nor would I inflict on them the possible surprises of a period of waiting between the convocation and the meeting of a scientific commission. Itself, in my eyes, quite unnecessary in these days, when the army of newspaper reporters of a great capital is always ready to mobilize without notice at any hour and spot on the bare prospect of news. The newspapermen of Paris would be my scientific commission. As I had excluded myself from trying for the Santos Dumont Prize, I naturally wished to show that it would not be impossible to fulfill its conditions. My number five, composed of the enlarged balloon of the number four, and the new keel, motor, and propeller already described, was now ready for trial. In it, on the first attempt, I fulfilled the conditions of my own prize foundation. This was on July the 12th, 1901, after a practice flight the day before. At 4.30 a.m., I steered my airship from the park of the Aero Club at Saint-Cloud to the Longchamp racecourse. I did not, at that moment, take time to ask permission of the jockey club, which, however, a few days later, placed that admirable open space at my disposition. Ten times in succession I made the circuit of Longchamp, stopping each time at a point designated beforehand. After these first evolutions, which altogether made up a distance of about thirty five kilometres, or twenty two miles, I set out for Pateau, and after an excursion of about three kilometres, or two miles, done in nine minutes, I steered back again to Longchamp. I was by this time so well satisfied with the dirigibility of my number five that I began looking for the Eiffel Tower. It had disappeared in the mists of the morning, but its direction was well known to me, so I steered for it as well as I might. In ten minutes I had come within two hundred meters, or forty rods, of the Champ de mars At this moment one of the cords managing my rudder broke. It was absolutely necessary to repair it at once, and to repair it I must descend to earth. With perfect ease I pulled forward the guide-rope, SHIFTED MY CENTER OF GRAVITY, AND DROVE THE AIRSHIP DIAGONALLY DOWNWARD, LANDING GENTLY IN THE TROSCADERO GARDENS. GOOD-NATURED WORKMEN RAN TO ME FROM ALL DIRECTIONS. DID I NEED ANYTHING? THEY ASKED. YES, I NEEDED A LADDER. AND IN LESS TIME THAN IT TAKES TO WRITE IT, A LADDER WAS FOUND AND PLACED IN POSITION. While two of these discreet and intelligent volunteers held it, I climbed some twenty rounds to its top and was able to repair the damaged rudder connection. I started off again, mounting diagonally to my chosen altitude, turned the Eiffel Tower in a wide curve, and returned to Longchamp in a straight course without further incident, after a trip which including the stop for repairs had lasted one hour and six minutes. Then, after a few minutes' conversation, I took my flight back to the Sanqlau Aerodrome, passing the Seine at an altitude of two hundred meters, over six hundred feet, and housing the still perfectly inflated airship in its shed, as though it were a simple automobile end of chapter 12